0: Welcome to the Like, Bite, and Share podcast, brought to you by Schweid Sons. Learn the secrets of food and hospitality marketing from some of the best professionals in the food business. Here are your co-hosts, Rev Ciancio from Schweid Sons and Brad Garoon from BurgerWeekly.com. You ready? Uh, I was born ready. Mr. I was born ready. What's up? <laughs> I've been ready since first call. Name that oh. quote. Uh, I want to say it's Pee-wee's Big Adventure. It was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Brad Grew, nicely done. How do you know that? I love that movie. Love it to death. How many times did you see it in the theater?
1: Zero. I'm young, man. I'm like quite a bit younger than you.
0: I think I was three when it came out. It's definitely an 80s movie. <laughs> well, I will date myself right now, and I tell you that I saw it in the theater eight times. <laughs> That's a lot of times. No, but I did watch it frequently on VHS. God bless. You know what I know that
1: you don't repeat? burgers that's burgers so you got a new one for me no but i've got i know that you just had one recently (laughs) that i've eaten so i want you to
0: talk about the grassland grill burger do you you know that was a real surprise so we this is you know a little bit of plug for schweid sons and we me and and our sales guy were going to visit a couple customers and then we got a phone call from this place called Grasso grill you know we googled it we never heard of it they don't have a website whatever but they they buy a lot of our burgers so we were like okay they had a customer service issue would go check it out and i walk in and it's like it's on East 48th Street at, like, you know, Park Ave. It's one of these, like, I mean, you've seen them. It's, like, a midtown lunch counter. You walk in, and they have salad and wraps and, like, the steam table. And, like, they're a diamond dozen, right? They're they're
1: all over. It's totally unassuming. It looks like every other lunch place in the neighborhood. Right. And
0: so I was like, oh, great. Well, you know, what is this going to be? And I walk in, and I kind of look. And, the, you know, there's the sandwich menu, the salad menu, the soup menu, everything. And then they have this burger menu, and I expected it to be, like, you know, burger, cheeseburger, bacon, you know, that was kind of it. But not the case at all. They have the craziest list of burgers I've seen in a long time. They have one that, like, has melted pepper jack cheese with hot peppers, pico de gallo, guacamole, and chipotle sauce. Uh, you know, they have another one that has, like, coleslaw, honey mustard, sweet peppers, onion rings, mozzarella. And the, the list goes on. I'm not going to go over it on the, on the podcast. But, you know, we walked in, customer service issue. We talked to the guy. He's like, yeah, I go through 50 cases of burgers a week. I was like, it's impossible. And then we tasted the burger, and I was floored. I was like, everybody needs to know about this place. If you work or in Midtown and you need a quick lunch, and this is the scenario I dreamed up, I'm, I have an itis. I need a burger. I only have 30 minutes. I got to run out. The person I'm having lunch with absolutely like only wants a salad because it's a Monday. Like This is your place. This is absolutely your place. They have a burger called the Quiet Ride Burger that has bulgogi and daikon, cilantro, and sriracha. I was just kind of like, is is it or is it not unassuming?
1: It's completely unassuming. It's actually a really interesting case. uh, And maybe we should, um, on a future podcast, talk about this more in depth. But So I used to work in that neighborhood. And when I first started working there, I needed very desperately to get a burger, to review for Burger Weekly that week. I, I hadn't met my quota. And I... It's kind of a dead zone when it comes to to great bar food and, and great burgers. There's there's Shake Shack's around there, but I needed something new. And this place, Grasso Grill, does no marketing whatsoever that I could find. Right? You Googled
0: it, nothing really came up. I'm a little annoyed. The Burger Weekly review I wrote didn't come up. No, uh, they look. They're not. They're, they they have a Twitter and Facebook. They don't use it. I even asked them. I said, "How do you do your marketing?" He's like. You know, good food and we're in a busy neighborhood. I was like, okay. <laughs> right. Well, the thing is,
1: if you go on Yelp, that's all people talk about on Yelp is their burgers. It's yep. a case study in Yelp driving sales when no other marketing is driving sales. It, that is a, actually a very good point there, Brad. I liked it quite a bit. Uh had a few little issues while I was there. None of them were related to the actual restaurant. It was more related to the neighborhood. Uh so, no fault to them. Just know that if something surprising happens while you're there, that's the neighborhood
0: man. Things get weird <laughs> in midtown during lunch but it's a, gr- it's a gr- if you're in like a hurry lunch option it's a it's a fantastic burger. I was really impressed.
1: Yeah, I like it a lot. And so for all you suckers who live in Midtown or work in midtown rather it's a it's a good bet. Um, but now, why don't we switch over and talk to Jonathan Shanti from Hyper Brands? because we talk about influencer marketing on this podcast a lot. And we finally have someone who can really speak to it from a professional level. And uh, I think you'll all get a lot out of this interview.
0: Jonathan Shanti is a senior vice president and partner at at Hyper, a search engine for media influencers with offices in Tel Aviv and New York City. Uh, Hyper enables marketers to target their desired demographics while using the ever-powerful voice of influencers, lowering costs, and making influencer marketing more of a science. Prior to Hyper, which is spelled H-Y-P-R, by the way, Jonathan worked in talent procurement with casting with Platinum Rye Entertainment, servicing their beauty portfolio, and spearheading new business for the in-house casting division. And prior to Platinum Rye, Jonathan worked in the commercial beauty division of innovative artists, placing models into TV commercials, scripted series, and commercial campaigns. So quite an interesting career. Jonathan, what are brands missing out on when they don't explore influencer marketing?
2: I think they're really missing out on the ability to capture a much larger amount of eyeballs on social media without the cumbersome costs of having to work with a quote unquote mainstream celebrity or mainstream talent. And what we also find in many cases is that um, these influencers, who we define as quote unquote long tail, anywhere from 100,000 followers plus or minus. Uh, you know, they are also more enticed and more excited to be able to be considered an influencer and thus tend to over-deliver.
1: Can you, before we go any further, I think maybe some of our audience doesn't know what an influencer is. Can you give a a quick definition of what an
2: influencer is and and then also what a long-tail
1: influencer is?
2: Sure. So an influencer is, you know, because of of the way media has changed and the way that we all digest it, Um, an influencer, you know, used to be someone who, you know, was a leader in the community um, and maybe someone as as a close figure in our family, a mother, a father, um, or even, you know, a rabbi or a priest, people that influenced our opinions, and we would take those opinions and we would translate that to our friends, to our families, to our communities, you know it's the two step model and now with social media everyone's an influencer you're an influencer i'm an influencer we're all influential because we have the ability now to, to connect with people one to one so you could have a crazy idea and you know what someone on the other side of the world who you may not have met before could agree with that same crazy idea and now you're influential to someone else so the, the answer to your questions we're all influ- we're all influencers um, but there are our a uh, kind of a, a range of what makes you more influential, and and from our perspective, is someone who has you know a very large social following and also has a very high engagement. Um, so some of the bigger influencers that are out there today, you know, the Kim Kardashians of the world, the you know blonde salads of the world, or Girl with No Job, um, those are all quote unquote big influencers today with big reach, big followers, big engagement. But more importantly, a long tail influencer is someone who maybe isn't as big in the hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions, but more concentrated. So someone with 20,000 to 50,000 followers is still extremely influential. You know, someone with 15,000 people and below is still influential. Think about how many people you know yourself. Um, and so because of that, you know, that's kind of in essence what hyper is. Hyper helps up, helps people find those influencers that are specific to their audience, whether it's locally or globally. So if I'm hearing you correctly, what you're talking
0: about is you can can't measure an influencer on a vanity metric like how many followers it's
2: how much engagement they get correct correct exactly and also you know we're all influential on different topics you know uh, you you may be a big you know uh, a big college basketball buff and maybe you, you're obsessed with college sports and you're and you're you know posting about it regularly but for some reason you know maybe your audience isn't following you and engaging with you because of those aesthetics that you you know, showcase yourself. Maybe it's about the post about your family and your kids and what product you bought your daughter or what new carriage or what new diaper, in which case you may be an influencer, but an influencer and parents and family, and maybe not with what you would assume you were aesthetically. And that's where kind of where the data comes into play. So if by college sports or
0: college basketball you mean pizza, then yes, that absolutely describes me. How do you measure engagement when you're looking at an influencer? I don't mean you. I mean like me or anybody else listening. Like How can they figure out uh, what makes an influencer actually an influencer?
2: Well, really, really great question. There's a couple of important indicators that you should always look at. One is you know, first off, what's their total following and how many platforms are they on? So, you know, if someone has somewhere in the thousands of of followers, it's a really good sign that they have people that are interested in what they're posting about and talking about. You know, the more platforms they have, the more capability they have to spread to other, you know, maybe age groups that are predominant on specific platforms, like the difference between, you know, Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, etc. Um, and also, another good indicator is how many average likes per post they're getting. You know, if someone has 200,000 followers but they're only getting 1,000 likes per post, that's not really a very high engaged audience. Let's say
1: I'm a restaurant chain and I've been hitting up you know, my own followers and the same people. I'm not really growing, hitting up the same people over and over again on social, and I'm interested in getting uh, influencers to expand my audience. How would Hyper
2: help me get in touch with them? So, a few things. One is, you know, what... Who first thing we would ask is well, who is your target audience? You know who, if I'm a restaurant, what what a, who's my ideal, you know, uh, consumer? How old would they have to be? So you know, in terms of maybe it's an expensive menu, maybe things are at a high price point. Therefore, you need someone who has a high expendable income to, be able to afford to dine there. You know, maybe you know it's a young person's place where it's very dessert focused and you know alcohol focused. So there's a lot of different variables and. Based off of whoever that target audience is, um, we can help you understand which people not only live close by to where this establishment is but also people that have that following that are – Perfect advocate for you, and as we know, the you know power of word of mouth marketing is is really what the essence of social media is and if you receive a suggestion from someone who's close to you or someone you admire or look up to that 's the closest direction of getting an influenced you know perspective so if you tell me, hey Jonathan, go check out this restaurant i 'm going to take it more for certain than some major celebrity or athlete because it's not really close to home and it's not authentic do you i mean i'm going to guess it, it it
0: differs from you know, platform to platform or from industry to industry. But is there, when you talk about goal setting, is there like an ROI menu that you give your uh, your your customers, or do you like help them find what that goal would be? Like, how do you help figure that out?
2: Yeah, so it's really you know on a on a on a case by case scenario. Everyone everyone has different goals. You know, for example, um, here's an example that kind of speaks to it in a way that how people work with us is, you know, there's a there's a, a major league baseball team that we're speaking to um, that essentially uh, could has all these different events and themed events at their stadiums, um, and they want to get their audience more engaged in, in the events that are going on and take place at those events. So maybe it could be a singles night, maybe it could be a Valentine's night. So what we're going to help them do is understand who their audience is in terms of who this baseball team's actual audience interests are, who they really look to as people that are engaging them, and use them as a way to promote and be a part of these events at the stadium to lure in the audience and engage them on the team's social media. So, for example, if I'm a restaurant um, and pending who again that audience is, you know they may say we want to see an, uh, our followers increase, we want to see maybe more foot traffic through the door, maybe we're looking to raise our our you know our uh, how much money we're going to make on the bar by promoting special. And happy hours or special, you know, giveaways. So it really depends on 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 what the appetite is and what the angle is, and based off of whatever those KPIs are that the restaurant is is or, or establishment is looking to raise. You know, we work with them to create a budget that actually will set them up to receive that success. So you know, I know I wish it was more of a black and white answer, but we give everyone a you know a bespoke solution that fits exactly what their needs are, and everyone's different. So you mentioned
1: budget. How much beyond beyond working with a company like Hyper, how much should someone be spending how much of their marketing budget should they be spending on influencer marketing? Can they say get away with sending free product to the influencer or having them come in, let's say it's a restaurant and, and just eating for free?
2: Oh, uh, the barter is big for long tail influencers, and again, you know, long tail. I'm talking about people 100,000 followers and below. Um, barter is big. We, you know, we actually had an article come out about us recently um, in Ink Magazine to kind of explain about how we created an advocacy group for this amazing beverage called koa um, and a lot of what we did was was barter you know these influencers if you present them with a great experience which is a huge upper hand for anyone in hospitality if you provide them with a great experience you provide them with great food you know good good alcohol and a good in good environment, the experience alone sometimes is enough to lure them in, and not have to necessarily spend money on having the post. And don't forget, these influencers, especially if they're in the food category or lifestyle category, they're looking for content. They're looking for cool experiences to showcase and talk about. They're looking for interesting recipes and chefs and stories that they can share with their audience. So if you if you you know again if you're not going after some of the biggest people out there, if you really focus in on a, on a hyper targeted. You know, group of influencers that speak to your target audience and, you know, the experience alone can be beneficial for you and for them. What kind of mistakes do you think brands or businesses make when they're working with an influencer
0: or even when they're reaching out to an influencer?
2: I think sometimes they they um, they don't really consider all the options. I think people get very intimidated to speak to other people out there and negotiate a commodity that hasn't really been defined. You know, I think that a lot of pe- a lot of like even some of the biggest publishers and agencies in the world. You know, they have people in there who maybe working with celebrities now, which is kind of ironic if you think about where the industry has come. But maybe working with celebrities now is a little bit more comforting because there's always that middleman there. There's always a manager, or an agent, or a lawyer, or someone that has access that you can you know work with to structure something that makes sense. Working with influencers, you know, in many cases it's one to one. You're not dealing with the middleman party, so it's really up to you as the person reaching out to structure the way the deal should be negotiated, the conversation should be, you know, <coughs> spoken about. And in some cases, I think that intimidates people, so they settle. Um, you know, I think if you're really savvy or you're not afraid to really just have a structured conversation, you'll probably get more out of more out of it. You know, and one one tip I always like to give is always ask for more than you need so that you can fall on what you actually want. And that goes a long way with influencers. You know, to always ask for a little bit more. You know, you know, let's say you want three or four posts or you want X, Y, and Z. Ask for a little bit more. In the event they push back or they say no. Land closer to where you actually want to be, and you'll find out that sometimes the easiest way is just expressing this, you know, in a simple conversation as to what your expectations are.
0: So I don't, I not know that I would consider myself an influencer. Maybe at some point people did, um, but one of the things that I didn't like when people were reaching out to me was this: like, I don't have a relationship with you. Gimme, give gimme, give gimme, give gimme, right. Is there a better way that you would suggest somebody's reaching if they're going to like let's say they're not using you they're they're not they don't have that budget yet but right. they're going to try and establish some relationships or work with influencers on their own is there a good first way to
2: approach these people or uh, some suggestions you would have to do that Sure first I would first before we, you know even as a preamble to even reaching out, first really understand what it is that you are looking for. You know, don't just think, "Oh, I want to work with influencers. Uh, I want to work with influencers and reach out to people." No, first you got to think, you know, what is it that I really am trying to achieve here? What is it that I want? Do I want to grow my Instagram? Do I want to grow my Facebook? Do I just want to raise awareness? And then quantify it. Quantify to what you want. I want X amount of posts on this platform. I want, I would like X amount of this on this platform. Think about exactly and and the amount of time you want these things to take place when then you want them to be posted over. Quantify that and make it organized and structured and present yourself in an organized, non, you know, non you know, aggressive way and you'll receive a response. If the person's not interested, they're not interested. doesn't matter how you portray it, how you flip it, etc. They're not interested, they're not interested. But if someone's remotely interested, you can come to them professionally with a clear uh, you know a clear direction as to what you 're looking for them in terms of services and a direction as to what your goal is you know that 's the best way to go about it because you also show that the influencer, whoever they may be um, that you are serious and you 're professional and generally, when you present yourself that way they don 't know you to be any other way and thus oblige in, in a similar capacity
1: for a client or a brand that maybe isn 't comfortable reaching out to influencers has never really had any experience marketing in this way, is that a service that Hyper provides being that, not, maybe not a physical liaison but like a uh, go between between okay. the two and then do you help your clients come up with the campaigns?
2: So that's a great question. So. First and foremost, Hyper. You know, there's two sides to us. One, our primary business, which for everyone always will be, is our as our data services. So we're kind of a, a a IMDb Pro meets LinkedIn for the influencer age. Instead of looking at Someone's resume. You're actually looking at someone's audience demographics. Um, you know that are that demographic, geographic, and psychographic. So we show you not only who your audience is, but where they live and what they're actually interested in. And then the other side of the of the company is our hyper collaborative team, which actually helps our clients. Uh, put together campaigns advocacy groups and does procurement Um, in many cases sometimes just to help in the event they need an extra hand in other cases to kind of teach them the ways to kind of procure these people on their own so that they can eventually do it on their own as well
0: so how does influencer uh, marketing differ from traditional advertising like if I just have a budget why not just spend it on Facebook What, what would be the difference here
2: well, I think I think the difference really is is that, first off, I would never say don't spend on Facebook. I, I would I I don't think I would recommend to anyone to sacrifice, you know, one budget for another in terms of on social or digital media. I think all of it's important these days. I think what's most important though is measuring what you're spending and how you're spending it. For example, you know I don't think you know sometimes clients come to me and they say, oh, I just want to try. I want to try. I want to spend X and I just want to try. I'm like, well, listen. Yeah, can I get really lucky and on on like you know on a one-off hit opportunity hit a home run for sure? Of course, it's possible. Sure, can I get you a, you know a jump in your awareness a jump in maybe even your product being sold, et cetera? Sure, of course. But you know that's a lot of that's a big gamble. The smartest thing to do is really approach everything strategically and intelligently. Meaning, whoever you're targeting on your Facebook advertising, whoever maybe you're targeting on your YouTube advertising, whoever you're targeting your Twitter advertising make sure it's all organized in conjunction with also the influencers you're working with spend a little bit everywhere and really find out where your audience lives the best and after you've seen enough compelling engagement you know then decide all right you know what i'm maybe going to spend less now on facebook and more on influencer marketing because in reality if you don't spend it intelligently regardless, meaning if you don't use the right data, if you don't raise, use the right demographics, if, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or anything, you know, it's not going to work. So my, my belief is you should really be involved in all of it and you should be spending your budgets across all the platforms that are available intelligently and based off of whatever results you start to see in the first three to six months, then reevaluate and, and begin to even target who are getting the highest level of engagement and ROI from.
1: I think one thing that worries people about influencer marketing, or at least I can say for myself, the brand that I work for, one thing that has become a problem is unlike let 's say Facebook advertising, which you put in your money, you put in your parameters, and the advertising happens with influencer marketing you 're dealing with human beings who are not always the most reliable, and sometimes every once in a while they don 't show up does hyper act as any kind of insurance
2: against that kind of thing happening so that 's actually you know that 's an interesting point you know that 's something that Unfortunately, you know, it does happen. Does it happen, happens in the professional world, like, you know, above the line, on camera, it happens below the line, in the influencer marketing world, and the only way to really get around it is by having enough options and being prepared that even if it does happen, you can move quickly. Um, Hyper has chosen in, in, in many, in, uh, in a strategic move to not be, um, to not essentially build a platform that is, uh, uh, you know, where you can run a campaign Every step of the way through the platform, we're we're strictly discovery, research, and identification tool, um, and we've done, and the reason we're doing that is because there are so many other people out there trying to build different processes of, of ways to, um, you know procure influencers and also do exactly what you said provided insurance will get done effectively a we didn't want to be another you know type of way of doing it and b there are still so many complications in that area as well um, because the market also you know on both sides from the brand and from the um, influencer side hasn't really matured enough yet to be able to be quote unquote necessarily programmatic so we do do it but we do it on a manual basis and we do it um, with enough leeway and professionalism and time that um, we, we don't allow ourselves to get in situations where influencers, you know, aren't adhering to those services. But I can I can understand very easily uh, if you're someone who doesn't have a lot of experience in that world, uh, you know, how that can be kind of intimidating because you're like wait a second, whatever happens to me? Maybe I don't have as big of a network as, as you do at Hyper. Maybe I don't have as much experience to know how to prevent my, these things from happening. The only real answer is making sure that you have options. You know, never always making sure you have a plan A, a plan B, a plan C, a plan D and that's really, you know, one of the bigger things about Hyper is we have over 9 million options on our platform currently growing every day so that's a big part of protecting yourself as being scalable, being able to reach out to a lot of people, have a lot of options and protect yourself from the brand side and that's our real that's really our fiduciary obligation
0: Once a brand has worked with an influencer or you know you've set them up with a campaign and it's kind of over um, what happens then? Like do they continue to have a role with that influencer? Do they have to come back to you again? Like what, what would be sort of the next steps to that scenario?
2: Well you know it, it depends on it depends on, uh, on a few things. One, it depends on you know where the client feels in terms of comfort. You know, do they feel comfortable handling it? Do they want to handle it? Um, if it's something that they do and they want to, by all means, the relationship's there. Now they're able to do it. Um, they can move on their own, no problem. In the event that they want us to stay on and they want us to continue to manage a relationship from that's something we're happy to do. And that's why we, we structure our agreements with these talents very intelligently with renewal terms and reusages because in the event that Let's say a brand or a client has not only sees a huge impact from that talent and can, wants to work with them again, we want to be able to re-engage quickly and continue to, to move on services. So we're always, pro, you know, because of our experience, because of our background, we're always thinking ahead for our clients so that in any way she form, they're ready to go.
1: How does one go about becoming an influencer? I know you said we're all already influencers already, but let's say you want to be an influencer to the point where you're getting paid or you're at least being bartered with, uh, to, to work with someone? How does someone get to that point?
2: So interesting, you know, every couple of years the number goes up at the in, the t- in terms of uh, the followers that you have to be considered influential. You know, at one point in time having a hundred thousand, a couple hundred thousand was considered unbelievable. Now, you know, you have to have millions to be considered a, a quote unquote celebrity influencer. But the reality is, in order to make yourself available to Brands and opportunities. Maybe you're not getting paid thousands of dollars a post, but you're being offered free products or trips or incentives. You know, anywhere from someone in the 15 to 20,000 and up. You really are starting to crack that threshold for being considered influential in terms of followers. But then again, remember, it really comes down also to how many average likes you're getting. How how engaged is your audience? People could be following you, but if they're not engaging with you, then where is my message getting sent? How do I know people are actually hearing what you're talking about, and with instagram's new reach and changes to their algorithm, you know you're only seeing. The uh, most liked posts on the activity feed of the person that you're following at first, so the opportunity for a big organic uplift is really limited now as it used to be in terms of if, if let's say ten to 20 or thirty people start liking your post and then their friends see that they've liked it. now you have the opportunity for organic eyeballs and reach you know because now someone who wasn't following you could see something that their friend liked and engaged that's following you and now you're open to new eyeballs and new followers. so now that that's happening. It really comes down to the content, really making sure you know where your audience is and that you're continuing to provide them with stuff they want to engage with, and not oversaturating with nonsense, really owning in on what it is you want your theme to be and your personality to exude and make sure that that's what your audience is coming for.
0: So I don't pay attention to a whole lot of things on Instagram. We'll just use that as an example. Outside of food, that's what keeps my interest, that's what Instagram is good for. Um, I'm sure this happens in every industry, though at least in food right now, there's a lot of noise. If I search the word burger or French fry or sandwich, it's just an unending array of pictures. Yeah. Uh, wh- how do you, as an influencer, cut through that? Like, there's a lot of noise. There's a lot of noise right now. And how, how as an influencer, would you suggest they cut through that? Because, like, Instagram, there's one only one link, right, there's the algorithm to deal with, and likes are really all
2: your kind of. That's kind of your only game to barter with there. So, I think so. There's a few ways to do that. One is uh, obviously creative always wins. So if there's a better way to show a picture of a burger, or there's a cooler way to show a new recipe, you know, experiment, hashtag it, share it. Those things, being you know, surprisingly enough, if you're creative enough. You're going to get some really interesting people engaging with you, when they're looking at all these different postings that are coming up on that filter. Another way also is by collaborating with people. Collaborating with people who maybe are a little bit above you, or also in a similar in a similar uh, you know let's call it followership. And be nice, be friendly. Um, it, it, social media is very much like high school; it's a popularity contest. Um, and you know by associating yourself with. Other influencers are looking to raise their profile as well and presenting yourself appropriately. You can you have the opportunity to cross-collaborate and grow your following and also get more engagement on those posts that will come up in people's filters. Um, and also another really good way of, of kind of increasing Uh, your awareness level and getting out there is being smart about what you're hashtagging. You know, be conscious of the themes that are going on in culture, in society. You know, hashtag things that are immediately irrelevant um, because, you know, you're right. Maybe... Maybe I hashtag burger and there's a lot of posts for burgers, but let's say it's there's a you know there was a major uh, you know um, charity walk for cancer uh, recently in New York City. Maybe i are posting food that's inspired uh, you know towards that association, hashtagging burger, hashtag other causes. You'll pop up in a different feed and attract somebody who has the same interest in food but maybe coming in from a different angle. So you know be smart about what you're posting, be creative be intelligent of who you're posting with and be, be, make sure that you stay on trend, pay attention to the current events that are going on. And where are other areas to capture people who have those interests, but maybe you're looking at a different filter. I want to touch
0: on, I think you went down a really good path there. I want to explore. I think you'll have some insight here. Uh, hashtags, especially on Instagram are kind of the name of the game. Um, but again, with all this white noise out there, people will just put hashtag burger. We're going to use that as an example. Uh, on their photo, and it might be about shoes or their beach vacation or whatever, right? Do you feel at this point that people have to refresh the hashtags that they're using almost on a daily basis, and do they need to be using more branded hashtags than just, like, the descriptor ones?
2: Yeah, I think, I think you know, what's interesting is you've seen, uh, you know, I think that uh, you kind of got to be creative with it. Like, you know, there are also a lot of, uh, you know, cool... Um, Slangs or phrases from TV that kind of trickle out really quickly, especially through reality television. I think you kind of just got to be creative about how you're presenting something. You know, there in terms of and how you're kind of putting it all together. So you know, there's a lot of uh, fun ways to to express something that's cool and exciting, which food can be. You know, be conscious of how you're what you're hashtagging and creatively how you're hashtagging it because. There's, there could you could find humor in a cool food posting. You could find something sexy in a food, cool food posting. You know, be smart about how you're positioning it and be unique. And with that, do you have? I
0: mean, I'm sure you guys are really, really good at this. But for somebody again who's trying to become an influencer, I guess even for a brand, what's a good way of discovering
2: like the right hashtag to use? Well, you definitely want to have something that's yours. You know, something that you own that's your name, you know, a great example as silly as it is is weddings. Everyone seems to come up with a really witty wedding hashtag so they can see all the photos that their friends and family are posting. You know, you should you should first and foremost have have those hashtags. Have that have that whatever it is that's unique to you. So you can always keep track of who's posting it, where it's being posted, and what content's coming out of it they can reuse and and use to respond to engaged users and engage them consistently. Um, but also hashtag you know major news aggregates, hashtag other popular, you know, themed food accounts and social influencers or, or social themes out there so that they can see you maybe want to repost and share what you've discussed. You know, uh, a lot of people out there, food bloggers are you know always hashtagging Thrillist or other really cool food publications hoping that their editors or, or, or social media managers will see something interesting and want to repost it and share that love because again, at the end of the day, the content is king and that's what we're all looking for. So, you know, hashtag things that are smart, Hashtag things that are unique to you, um, and don't and don't go too out of the box. Like don't write sentence hashtags. Like a whole sentence is a hashtag. Keep it smart, keep it simple, and, and look to, you know, look to again go after people, other platforms, and other sorry, other themed accounts or other influencers out there that are using those themes. You know, reach out to them on it. Let them see that you're coming up with cool content as well.
1: One thing that I think most people have trouble talking about, especially let's say you're an aspiring influencer, uh, this is all new to you. Talking about money might make you pretty uncomfortable. So, what's a good way for someone who's been been approached by a, a few brands, so they know they have some worth, uh, to come up with their
2: rate? First and foremost, I think a good rule of thumb is that for for every quote unquote you know hundred thousand followers you have, you should be you should, you should be a, a demanding in the you know seven fifty to thousand dollar range for a hundred thousand followers. Again, also given the engagement levels and more precisely who that audience is. Um, in terms of like male to female, et cetera, those things should take consideration as well. but if you, as an influencer have you know uh, at least a hundred thousand followers, you should be you should be at minimum seven fifty to thousand dollar range um that's just rule of thumb unless of course. You know, you, you as an influencer may see value in maybe not having the money, but having product. Maybe you don't want the thousand bucks; you'd rather have a tablet or a cell phone, or you'd rather have free swag, clothing, food, etc. Um, so, get a so you know. Other than understanding what your relative you know market cost is, which is you know obviously fluctuating, it, it changes all the time, but also understand what your value is as an influencer. What are you willing to what are will you What are you willing to post about and talk about for, um, and and when someone approaches you, you can either say you can be the you know the dominant one and kick it off and say Hey, listen, I'm either expecting this in product, pending who the brand is or who the person is, or I'm expecting you know minimum X for a posting, um, or you know if let's say you don't want to be bullish, you you can always open up the conversation. Hey, you know. What's your budget what are you what do you have to play with? what are you willing to offer and throw the ball back to the brand's court are they willing to offer product are they willing to offer cash you know what are they used to doing and then figure out what makes the most sense for you because at the end of the day you know unless you're looking at being an influencer as a main monetary source of income which you really should never do until the demand is so high that you can actually take that leap. Um, you really should be considering what it is that you want that makes it worth it for you. Um, and if it's just a cool way to get free love, free cool swag, be in the new, great. Go into it with that approach. If you're going in as strictly as a way to make money, you know, it's a very, very, very uh, a slippery slope in that regard. Not everybody makes it, and not everyone, you know, gets the prestige they're looking for.
1: And I think another thing that comes along with someone who's who's pretty new to the game is they they don't know much about The proper way to conduct themselves as an influencer. So I I don't know if you guys are dealing with this much now, but I know the Federal Trade Commission is kind of cracking down on people really being transparent about the fact that the relationship between an influencer and a brand is an advertising relationship, uh, and putting hashtags to that effect or putting messaging to that effect in posts um, is going to become a real issue. Uh, Do you advise your clients on making sure that that happens? I know... As the go-between, it probably doesn't legally affect you. But what's your what? What are your thoughts on that?
2: I, I 100% um, encourage all of our clients to disclose. I think you know it, it, what's the saying? You'd rather sleep well than eat well. No pun intended, considering we're talking about things related to food. Um, but uh, but essentially, you know, I think it's really important that you do disclose, and it doesn't have to be big gawker and gawky, you know, out there like hashtag paid, hashtag ad, hashtag no. It could be, you know, my name, if if my restaurant is called, you know, Chico's, it could be hashtag Chico's partner. You know, it, it doesn't always have to be something that's really absurd and out there, but you should always disclose. Like, why, why not? Why risk that one opportunity where somehow it can get you into a worse situation when you just could have hashtagged it?
0: What's your take on accounts that are completely curated, meaning... There's no original content, and that could be Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Obviously not Snapchat, uh, but where people are just using other people's material to gain a following. Is that an influencer? Do they have influencer? Is that someone you can work with?
2: You know, um, it's a great question. I think from morality's perspective, uh, it, it, it's it's better to see them actually give credit to the people that they've taken the content from. You know, Then you're really just becoming kind of a... Uh, um, an interesting beacon in social of like cool things that are happening. So it's so from from that perspective, it's it's less it's less of like a smack in the face, so to speak, or, 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 or less uh, um, I don't know bad or, or murky. Um, but if it's someone who's just taking out people's content and reposting it, um, you know, I, when I work with them? Ideally, I wouldn't prefer to. Um, I prefer to work with people who uh, really have a, a theme and have a direction, have an engaged audience and share content, you know, uh, diplomatically, so to speak. But there are cases where you do because those people still may have, for some reason, a very niche audience or have a very cool, unique um, followership for some way, shape, or form. And, and those those opportunities happen here and there. But generally, we like to, to work with, you know, um, influencers that, really own not only who they are but own their content.
0: In other words, if I'm hearing you correctly, they might be looked at more of a, as a
2: media channel than an influencer. Correct, as a, as a publisher. Um, but I will say this. There's a big difference in being like a profile that's just posting random memes and things here and there and videos. And there's another thing about being a profile that is a publisher that p- p- posts a lot of really cool you know, maybe just really cool funny videos about, you know, wildlife or or someone that posts a lot of cool Greek life and and funny things in that area. You know, those publishers really kind of are are more of a safer – and, and smarter way to go from a marketing perspective because you get a you get a good understanding of at least as as to who that audience is more. Um, like for example, you know, if I'm if I'm publishing something in People magazine as an advertisement, you know, I have a really good understanding of who's reading People magazine. But if if I'm posting something on a page where it's a bunch of random stuff, then you know the audience is probably going to be very random as well. Um, and of course, you know, that's why we also have our data we back into it. So you know, as I said earlier Sometimes you find people who are publishers who have a really unique audience, and although it may not be the cleanest and sexiest or maybe coolest or most organized content, they're still really effective. Got some amazing insight. Let, let's talk about
0: the negative side of what we just talked about. How should an influencer handle someone or an account that's stealing their content and not crediting them? Do you have any
2: suggestions for that? That's, that's a tough one. I really wish I could give you a... a a Solid answer you know I, um, I've heard stories in the past you you'd be surprised as to how clicky this world actually is you know that the whole influencer quote unquote when I, we talk about I'm about really about publishers and themed accounts here it's a very you know although the the internet world is huge the the people that manage these accounts and the, and the, and the groups that are that are posting on these accounts is kind of small and very clickish and, and collective and they kind of back each other up. So in many cases, these things kind of resort to themselves. Like for example, look what happened with Fat Jewish. Um, you know, some some people on on social got really upset that. They saw that he wasn't crediting someone for postings that were, you know, obviously not his, and they, they handled it amongst themselves. Um, and in many cases, that's how these things are kind of sorted out. If you know for sure someone's taking your content, um, you're probably not afraid to reach out to them or inbox and say, hey, man, what are you doing? And also, if they're another kind of somewhat known or, or respected manager or creator, you probably know someone that's one or two degrees of separation away from knowing that person as well. So it's kind of like Lord of the Flies in a the way. They, they, they really do kind of sort it out on its own. Well, Jonathan, we really appreciate you coming
1: on the show and teaching us so much about influencer marketing and letting us know a bit about Hyper. Uh, before we go, we always ask all of our guests, we need to know, it's very important, about your burger preferences. So what was your favorite burger from childhood?
2: So my favorite burger actually from childhood um, was, there was, a, there was a place in South Miami called Fuddruckers. And it was the first time I ever saw a bison burger um, coming up on the menu. And I don't know, for some reason as a kid, just the fact that it was a bison burger, I just thought it was an unbelievable best burger I ever had. So definitely would say Fudruckers, uh, South Miami, and it was the bison burger.
0: Well, nothing makes me more excited than when you surprisingly walk into mentioning an account that our sponsor Supplies, so nice oh,
2: job.
0: <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, you know, it, 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 it it's you, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I grew up eating Fuddruckers. I love Fuddruckers. I work for and Sons. I still think Fuddruckers is amazing.
2: And one of my it's favorite
0: true. things there is going and playing with all the soda fountains, but that's
2: beside Oh, me. wait, wait, wait. Don't. I used to take the cup and run it across about eight of them, and <laughs> I my own concoction. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Did you have a name for that? What are we? I don't know. I have to ask my cousins. You know, it's funny. I should. I don't know. I I can't remember. I'm sure we thought of something silly. You know what I mean? We but, called uh, it. We called it a suicide. Suicide. <laughs> oh, very cool. I like that. And don't forget, they always had the classic video games in the back. I remember Terminator. I remember pinball. I remember there was always something to keep us busy in the meantime, which is why I probably we went there so much. Man, we need a road trip to Fuddruckers. All right, Jonathan. What what was the last good burger you ate? The last good burger I ate, I have to have to say, was All-American and Massapequa. I just think it's it's really like a, such a gem of a, of a burger joint. Um, the food is just such good quality for the, the speed at which they churn it out and the price points. I mean, you can't beat anything like that. It's just unbelievable. I mean, what a really good, good burger.
0: I'll tell you what one of my favorite things about All-American is. What's that? The choice of having a
2: knish as your side. Oh, man. I thought you were going to say the shakes. Yeah, the... <laughs> I know. It's like a different twist, kind of uh, kind of like what the mushroom patty is to Shake Shack in a way. <laughs> but no, no, I'm with you, man. So that's two. Yeah, Ruckers All-American, top two, hands down.
1: Then if you could give one piece of advice to someone in the food marketing industry, what would
2: it be? I would say, you know, you have a lot to bargain with. You, at the end of the day not only are providing people with something that feels good in their stomach and quenches a, uh, you know, a big hunger, so to speak, but you also get to provide people with an experience and you get to have, uh, kind of take people on your own journey. Um, so use that when it comes to marketing, use that when it comes to working with influencers and use that to really understand um, who your audience is and who really wants to take a part in that experience. It's really, really, really good advice. In fact, everything we've talked about today was really,
0: really good advice. So thank you for taking the time to talk to us. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, what are some ways that people can find out more about you or get in touch if they're interested?
2: Oh, I, no, I appreciate it. It was my absolute pleasure. You know, I, I, I'm forever a student of this industry, so, you know, we could have another conversation six months from now and I might have even more insights. We're always learning. We're always growing. Um, best way to find out about us is You know hyprbrands.com and you know we can reach out to us for more information Uh, you know we have a very quick um, cool business development team who will get back to you with anything you're interested in knowing about or even if you know hey if you reach out to us and you're looking for some tips or advice we're happy to do it you can reach us on Facebook Um, you can reach us through our website as well Uh, so we're here we're an open book we just want to give everyone the power of, of option choice and good data to make meaningful choices in influencer marketing
0: Thanks, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of Like, Bite, and Share. We hope you found today's interview insightful. If you didn't get a chance to write down everything, no worries. We take the show notes for you. Go to schweidandsons.com slash podcast to find them. If you enjoy the show, we ask for one favor, and that's please give us a rating in iTunes. That helps us to spread the word to others who might find this valuable like you do. If you haven't subscribed to the show yet, please subscribe on your favorite podcast player so you don't miss a future episode featuring helpful tips from other professionals in the food marketing business. Stay hungry.